We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. It's the sale you've been waiting for. Now through Monday, get a huge 50% off the styles you need now with 50% off all jeans, 50% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, 50% off. Jeans start at 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids. Want fashion in a flash? Buy online and pick up in-store for free. Hurry, the sale ends Monday at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 829 to 9-2 excludes in-store clearance, jumpsuits, rompers, bubbles, active license, and men's package tees. Hey, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Rotoviz College Football Show. I'm jo- joined today by Jordan Hoover and Matt Wispy. How are you fellas doing on this lovely Monday afternoon? I am fantastic. I know this is a college football show, but I am a Pittsburgh Penguins fan. I make no apologies for it, and we are the best team in hockey eight games in. Congrats. I survived a work day, so I'm just happy. <laughs> yeah, we, we're, we're making it. Yeah, it was like 75 degrees here today in, in Boulder, Colorado. And just absolutely gorgeous, and it's hard. It's hard to complain. I always find ways to do it, though. Wait, the other couple of weeks ago, we were talking about it was ninety here over in the Midwest, and how we were like dying, and, it was and you were like, "Oh, here. well, it's snowing outside here." Yeah. And now I'm gonna assume Jordan has similar weather to me, but it's like. It's the sale you've been waiting for. Now through Monday, get a huge 50% off the styles you need now with 50% off all jeans, 50% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, 50% off. Jeans start at 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids. Want fashion in a flash? Buy online and pick up in-store for free. Hurry, the sale ends Monday at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 829 to 9-2 excludes in-store clearance, jumpsuits, rompers, bubbles, active license, and men's package tees consistently between 40 and 50 uh every day now so 
We switched. Yeah, the, uh, Colorado weather is the weirdest thing in the world. It really is. But one thing that is pretty, I mean, you can't rely on the weather here. One thing we can rely on is tomorrow when the playoff picture is unveiled for the first time, there will be a lot of shenanigans. What do you guys think is going to happen? How do you think it's going to shake out for this first this first go around? What four teams are in? You want to go ahead, Matt? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think I think the rankings are going to come out with Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, and LSU as the top four with Georgia at five, uh, Michigan at six, Oklahoma at seven, and Ohio State at eight. Um, I know that was probably far too many that people care about, but pretty much all I'm saying is I don't think the that the committee is going to give Michigan a bump over LSU because LSU has – the best win with that Georgia win um, and Michigan, even though they have easily the best loss of any of the top teams, I can't see them getting any respect for just kind of doing what they were supposed to on the rest of their schedule. And Georgia's going to stay above everyone because they probably should be. I, yeah, I think I pretty much have it basically the same. I think what it will be is Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, and LSU. Although, in my opinion, and maybe this is forecasting more so than just what I think it should be today, but I I do think that LSU has obviously a very difficult game this week, which we'll get to, but they also have a tricky game at Texas A&M, who I think is, you know, despite what we saw this week, which we'll also get into, I still think that's a little bit of a sneaky spot. Um, and you know, unless they are able to upset Alabama, they're going to have a hard time getting to the SEC title game. So um, I, I, I kind of think that LSU won't be there by the time it really matters. And I, I think Oklahoma is trending upwards. And I've been wrong multiple times about Georgia so far. But I think that Oklahoma and Georgia will probably end up vying for four. I know Georgia has a tough you know, they could easily get to 10 and one, but then they'll have to likely play Alabama, which will be tough. But um, as of what I think it will be, I agree with Matt, Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, LSU for the initial four. Yeah. And I think one of the most, and I know we're guilty of doing it too, but one of the most over talked about subjects will be this initial list. And to me, it's always a little bit premature to dissect it too much because we all know things are going to change. Like LSU is going to most likely, you know, I mean, we, we'll talk again about what we think is going to happen as they, when they face Bama. But they're they're like, going to be number one. Yeah, they're, they're either going to be number one or number seven, you know, or number nine. You yeah. know, like, they're not going to be in this picture at that spot for long. I, I agree with you guys with the, with the four for this week. Uh, how I think it ends up shaping up at the end of the year, and I'd love to hear you guys' take on this too, is I think Bama one, Clemson two, unfortunately... Uh, I think Notre Dame will be undefeated, and I think, and the only reason I say unfortunately is because I think that we're going to miss out on having a team like Oklahoma in there, which I which I think would be a lot of fun. Uh, but I think it'll be um, Notre Dame and Michigan. Uh, but I would love to see Notre Dame lose somehow and Oklahoma climb up in there. But I just don't think it's going to be able to happen. How do you guys see it shaping out? Yeah, I mean, I think Michigan. And this is, I guess, kind of an obvious statement, but if Michigan wins out, they're in. Because, you know, right. they, they they obviously still have to beat Ohio State. 
Um, and then depending on who wins the West side, they'll have to beat them as well in the Big Ten championship game. So, I mean, the path is there for Michigan to get there. Um, but but I still think I, I can't I'm not going to predict how that game is going to go Michigan, Ohio State today, but I still think they have a difficult a difficult way. And and, you know, I think the way I see Oklahoma being able to get there is if they win out, they'll have wins over Oklahoma State, who just pulled an upset against Texas, and as as well as West Virginia, still remaining on their schedule. If that happens, they could potentially play Texas in a rematch in the Big 12 championship game. If they win that game, that's a hell of a lot of credible wins in the next uh, month and a half or so, month. So that's kind of the path. I, it may be unlikely, but that's sort of the way that I see Oklahoma being able to get there. And I, you know, for what it's worth, I, I do pull for Oklahoma. I love Kyler Murray. We talked about it last week. And any opportunity we get for extra games with Kyler Murray, especially in the national spotlight, I'm all for that. Yeah, absolutely. How do you see it shaking out, Matt? So I've got <laughs> – this is like the most reverse jinx thing I'm ever going to do, and I don't Ooh. even feel bad about it, <clears throat> which should forecast what I'm going to say. Um, I'm taking Alabama because Alabama, uh, Clemson, Clemson, and uh, Notre Dame – I. I want to see them trip up so bad. Like I really more than anything, I want USC to just like figure it out and magically be USC, but they're not going to. Um, and Syracuse already had their one close call of the year. So it's going to be Notre Dame. And then, and I hate saying these words out loud, but I'm not sure I see a path to Ohio state beating Michigan right now. And so I'm saying Michigan in the four spot and even though I think they'll eventually get crushed by Alabama because they won't be able to keep up. Alabama's offense versus Michigan's defense is probably the most fun matchup that I can imagine right now. Yeah, that would be that would be a lot of fun to see. Now, I kind of teased this uh, last week on last week's show and said, oh, we should get into this sometime. And I think this is a good time to do it. Who do you think would be more deserving? A one-loss Big 12 team or a one-loss Big 10 team? Because, I mean, there's a few opportunities. Like, it could be Oklahoma, of course, out of the Big 12. But with Ohio State and Michigan, if one of those teams win, wins out, who do you think would get the nod and who do you think should get the nod? I think it should be Michigan. Uh, like, I know Wisconsin seems to be trending down, but we kind of forget that certain people on this podcast thought they were the playoff team out of the Big Ten. I don't know and, what you're talking about. <laughs> and I mean, they're going, if, if Michigan wins out, they're going to have a win, another win over Penn State, who they're, they're looking sort of back-ish. That win last week was good. They're going to have a win over Ohio State, and then they're going to have a, another win over Northwestern, which is clearly the most impressive of all of them. <laughs> that's, that's who's going to win the West, and it's sad. Um, but, I mean, their only loss is Notre Dame. It was a one-score loss on the road to Notre Dame. If the committee said, if anything the committee has said over the last few years, it's winning a conference championship does matter in a tiebreaker situation. Who you lost to and when you lost matters. And did you schedule meaningful out-of-conference opponents? And Michigan knocks everyone out of the park on that one. And they're going to have a ro If they do this path that I'm projecting them they will have a road win over ohio state who if nothing else has the has like the 
clout that everyone would want, and they're going to kind of get all the perks of beating the team that always gets the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's really logical way to lay it out, and I think that, you know, Oklahoma's only lost so far as to Texas, who was probably overranked where we where we saw them last week, but it was a close loss, and Michigan sort of similarly close loss to Notre Dame. But I agree with Matt. I think that the, if if Michigan can run the table, I, I think that they they will be in at number four. And and I do like that point too about Michigan's defense against Alabama's offense. I think that would be one of the more interesting matchups we could see in that in that first round of the semifinals. Underrated fun thing that could happen though for Oklahoma is if West Virginia wins out until they play Oklahoma, Oklahoma may have to beat them two times in a row, <laughs> which would be all kinds of crazy. Yeah, the Big Twelve could could still be really interesting, and and I agree with you that that wins if Michigan beats Penn State and Ohio State to close, and whoever wins the the uh, the West um, or the East, excuse me. Um, I think that you know, I guess it depends on how Oklahoma State keeps going now from here. And like you said, you know, that last, I believe that's the last game of the schedule for Oklahoma is, is at West Virginia in Morgantown. Is that correct? So, I mean, that, that, that's a big win. Like that's, that's not a guaranteed win. And so we'll, we'll just have to see, like, you know, like we've been saying, it's a little early. Yep. And I, and I think when it comes down to it, I don't think this is actually going to be a real thing. I I imagine that none of those, not all of these teams are going to go undefeated throughout the rest of the year. So we don't really have to spend too much time on it <laughs> in reality anyway, probably. Uh, just really quick before we get into the games, uh, big winner and big loser for you guys this weekend. Am I allowed to say it? <laughs> Is the big loser on the weekend just Oregon? Um, which I, I know, and it, it's it's mean for me to say, but Arizona's trash. Um, and I don't, even though they've been improving, they, they just came off a loss to an, a a UCLA team that had been awful. So the the big loser on the weekend for me is Oregon, who was two weeks ago the best team in the Big 12. And now, I mean, the Pac-12, and now they're floundering. Yeah, no, you're right. They are they are big, big losers. It is, <laughs> it is, it is difficult to say, and, and I didn't see it coming, honestly. I thought after that loss to Stanford... They they came back and played really, really well in the weeks that followed. They, I mean, after that win against Washington, I was really ready to, I mean, I said it. I said they are the best team in the Pac-12. And since then, they've lost um, in two back-to-back games and shown no grit, no determination, no resolve, absolutely giving up on this game. It was It was ugly. From the beginning, it wasn't like they got a couple bad bounces and they they just couldn't do anything. And they and their play calling was stupid. Jordan, you've been talking about all year long, all season long, you've been saying how the best teams are the teams that are willing to go vertical. They will go down the field, and that's what Oregon had been doing. And this week, all Justin Herbert was doing was these little check down passes. I remember one play, third and it was like third and six, and they throw a little four-yard hook pass. And the guy gets tackled immediately. And it's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? So I just, I just, I hope that things would be different under Cristobal. I was hoping that they would be able to come back and, and show some 
determination to get a win, to get a result after a devastating loss to Washington State, but they didn't. They came out and laid another egg and just looked pathetic in the process. I still love Oregon, but man, that was disappointing. So yeah, huge losers. My bad. And and not to, I don't mean to pile on, but if I could just say real quickly, uh, Washington State had a really great weekend. And this, I swear, this is not to pile on top. Um, But I... You know, we 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 talked about that game last week, and it was it was a perfect spot for Stanford. It, all the narrative, all the old betting, uh, you know, cliches and systems that you talk about, the letdown on the road after the big win, everything, and they still overcame and beat Stanford. Now I think Washington State is, you know, we've seen Utah on the other side of the Pac-12 really start to come on, and Washington State, the rest of their schedule, they have. Cal at home, they go to Colorado, then they have Arizona and finally Washington at home. Both of those last two games are at home. I mean, they're setting up for an 11-1 season and a chance to win the Pac-12. Unbelievable, yeah. I I mean, no one, you know, I don't know of anyone who was talking about that preseason. And Mike Leach inspires a lot of different feelings for a lot of different people, but I'm pretty excited about what they've been doing so far and I I really I think that if they do go all the way and then they play Utah in the Pac-12 championship game I think that's something that would be really interesting for a conference that you know kind of gets left out yeah and and my my loser for the week was actually I mean this is a Pac-12 show right now Um, but the Pac-12 for me in general was a loser other than Utah and and they brought this up on the uh, 24-7 CBS podcast I was listening to it they brought this up but every every underdog ended up winning. Like so, all the teams that were supposed to win lost. And while that's fun and parity is great, it doesn't look good for your conference when you're trying to compare it to other conferences. And one of the big problems that the Pac-12 gets is that they aren't respected. Not only do they play at like midnight for the Eastern Time Zone, but they now also don't have really dominant teams, and it's just going to be a problem. And and I think. The I mean I'm a Pac-12 fan so this might be uh, coming coming through a little bit but it's just bad for the Pac-12 going forward it just there's a lack of respect and it's kind of understandable and I I've always been one to defend the Pac-12 but now like even looking at a team like Washington that was supposed to be near elite you compare them to the other just above average teams in the country and they're just kind of in that class they're not a great team they're maybe not even a good team. And that was supposed to be the the shining the knight in shining armor for for the Pac-12. So it's just really disappointing season for that conference. And yes, you're right, Jordan Washington State looks really good. That's a fun story. Utah's been very impressive, but to me, it's just not not the conference that you were hoping it would be. And um, like you look at a, like a conference like the ACC, where a lot of the teams are down, but they got one elite team, so it covers up a lot of the flaws. Uh, for some of the other teams in the conference. And, and yeah, I just don't think that Washington State or Utah are quite at that level. So they're my big loser. The whole the whole conference, loser. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter at all. <laughs> no, you uh, sound very well adjusted and processing. And, you know, it's it, it takes time. That You know, when, 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 when your world is upended, it takes time to get it back right side up. And I think that a lot of times this podcast we're we're here to help each other through because right. you know 
everybody needs a little help sometimes and you know just just doing what we can absolutely yeah i uh my the, the local liquor store has become a good friend of mine <laughs> with all these Oregon <laughs> losses my god but yeah let's get into last week's picks we did we did pretty good um for the most part one game that we all got wrong uh was Florida versus Georgia the line was seven points, and Georgia ended up running away with it in the second half. I was pretty surprised how well Fromm played. Everyone had kind of been piling on him the last couple of weeks, and he really, I thought, I thought he really delivered and had a great game against what had been our very stingy Florida defense. I think all of us would have laughed at the idea of Georgia putting up 36 against this defense. How did you guys see it shaking out? Why don't we start with you, Matt? Yes, I think this was a big win for Georgia, and they were actually almost a team that I called out as a big winner rather than piling on Oregon. I think this was the necessary win for them. I still think we have to recalibrate our expectations for what this Georgia team is. I think when we came into this year, we saw them as the 1B to Alabama's 1A, or in that same tier, I guess, as like the Clemson, Alabama. I don't think this game proved that to me. Um, for as good as they were, it's still, I mean, Florida, this same Florida team lost to Kentucky earlier this year. And if we aren't willing to, willing to buy into Kentucky as a true threat in the sec, then why is this Florida team really standing out much? I, I don't know. I, it's a good win for Georgia. I'm happy for them. They stand out, but I don't know. I, I, this doesn't change me. This doesn't put them back up in that elite tier for me. This doesn't make them really a playoff contender for me yet. I think they still have some proving things to do. And truthfully, I still don't think they're playing their best quarterback. So, yeah, I mean, I, I've kind of been a Jake from backer, I guess. Um, I think that he's good and I think that he's deserved to be the starting quarterback. I know that especially with what's going on with Trevor Lawrence at Clemson, everyone's real quick to want to give the incumbent starter the hook for the younger uh, star recruit, and I understand that, but I can't really see where Jake Fromm has tripped up to the point where he deserves to be pulled, and I think he was excellent in this game. I also think that DeAndre Swift showed up, which is good, because I, I think that he's extremely talented, and and Isaac Nada also showed up in a, in a nice way, and, and just one real quick thing on Felipe Franks. Uh, I was actually watching this game live when he threw his touchdown pass, which was like legitimately an NFL looking throw. It was a really nice pass. I was yeah. It was uh, what had happened. I thought what I thought Franks was that quarterback. Who who is that back there? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you see that, but then I I look at the box score at the end of the game, and he has a three point a or three point eight excuse me adjusted yards per attempt. So this one NFL throw does not erase what was an absolutely horrendous performance. And I think that when we talk about you know who Florida is. And in in rating this type of win, I think that we do need to realize that, you know, Franks is is perhaps an average quarterback, probably not even average. Um, And again, it comes back. You you absolutely need quarterback play to be great in a sustained manner. And until Florida can get that figured out, you know, it kind of doesn't matter how good their defense is, because eventually they're going to run into a team that they just cannot score enough points. Not to take away from Georgia because they did what they needed to do and they're positioning themselves. I just wanted to drop that in there on Franks real quick. Yeah, I know. I think that's good. 
yeah, Matt, I'm surprised you, you didn't bring up Isaac. Not, not, I couldn't stop thinking about you as the first half ended because I think he had like four receptions for 66 yards on that drive. Um, and I know how much you you love the tight end position, so I was I was expecting a, a little bit of a shout out from you on that on that part. But he had the one drive that was yeah. just insane. Yeah. But I I mean, and, and he was he was the reason why they they scored or they got points at the end of the half. And I do think that drive itself was. I, I know a lot of people are going to be critical of the fact that they ended up with three points, but they should have ended up with no points and. I can criticize them playing Jake Fromm at quarterback, but that's just because I think I Jordan's right. He shouldn't be pulled, but it, I just think that they have a special talent behind him. Whereas you're right. I think that that combination of Jake Fromm and Isaac Nada, just having that chemistry together is the reason why they went into the half up by six and not up by three. So cre- I, I have to give them the credit where it's due. So, yeah, I will say I, tilted my face off when with six seconds left or seven seconds left in the half, they brought out the field goal unit when they had a timeout in their pocket. You can still, you can still throw the ball into the end zone. And even if something crazy happens, you've got a timeout. Like the fact that they were like, no, we'll just settle for the three points. Who who cares? Just made me so angry. It was the dumbest coaching I'd seen in, well, at least on Saturday. I just couldn't understand why you wouldn't even wouldn't even try. It was ridiculous to me, and the whole offensive coaching staff should be fired because of it, and I believe that strongly. <laughs> I think it was only like a few minutes later that a similar thing happened in the in the Penn State game, but but maybe I've got my games uh, switched, but there was a similar situation. The only difference was it was from about 45 yards out, but again, there was about eight seconds left in the half, and instead of going for one more play, getting closer, and then using a timeout, they just kicked the the far, like a deep field goal. And um, again, I just didn't understand it. But regardless, we'll move on. I will I will tilt no longer. Uh, we've got it all out of the way. We've talked about the Georgia and Oregon, so I should be good to go from this point forward. Jordan, how stressed were you at the end of that Iowa-Penn State game? Because you, you, had, you had picked Iowa, so... I wasn't sure if maybe you were hoping they'd come back and win it to give you your pick or if, you know, fandom was stronger than any pick you might have made. Yeah, it's the ultimate conundrum, I guess. It's your, well, you know, whatever is remaining of your credibility at, at age 31 and 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 seeing your team win. You know, I, I think that it was a good win, obviously. Iowa was, was trending upwards. Um, I really was concerned going into the game. Penn State did enough, you know, and I think that Nate Stanley, I, I know that at the beginning of the game, Todd McShay was on the uh, on the field and he he said that Nate Stanley was his QB three in the 2019 class. Now, granted, Stanley, I think, injured his hand at some point in this game. So I don't know how healthy he was throughout the entire game, but he was dreadful. Um, you know, they in my opinion, their best two playmakers are Noah Fant and Hawkinson, the two tight ends, who both will probably play in the NFL. And it took them until basically the end of the third, fourth quarter, before they really started peppering those guys with targets. And and I don't know. It's just, and, and that last play down on the, on the line with Iowa heading in for a touchdown, they kind of have a little bit of a mix-up pre-snap. Stanley ends up throwing an interception. I, 
it felt like it felt like the momentum was on Iowa's side and Penn State might get you know get caught in the end. But what I'm a, what I'm a little bit worried about watching this game is Trace McStorley. His stats are not extremely impressive, but a lot of that has to do with the ineptitude of his playmakers around him. Pretty much everything is on his shoulders. He's accounting for a third of Penn State's rushing yards and attempts and touchdowns. Miles Sanders, you know, struggled predictably, I guess, against Iowa's interior defensive line. Um, They've been really stout against the run. But, you know, I just don't see a ton of playmakers around McSorley right now. And I'm not necessarily jumping off ship, but I just am concerned that everything is on his back and we saw him get a little bit banged up. And if something happens to him, I don't quite know where this goes. So, you know, like I said, it was a good win. We'll take it, you know, in conference, but uh, heading into Michigan, I am not, not exactly ecstatic about what we might see. Yeah. I mean, I think you have a little bit of reason to be concerned heading into Michigan because that defense is insane and it's pretty much going to come down to, can Trace McSorley make stuff happen? And as much as I I think that this Penn State team is real, Miles Sanders is not going to get yardage against Michigan. And you kind of need more than just K.J. Hamler to do something against them because I think that Michigan has proven at least that they can stop one thing um, if that's all that's really the threat. So... I'd be concerned. I do think Michigan should be a pretty healthy favorite against Penn State. And I would say this game's going to be Trace McSorley against the world. But my takeaway from this game is is still positive for Penn State, because even though you can look at this and say that statistically it's not a great game for them, Iowa's a really good team. And they're sort of in the same way that Iowa State is in the Big 12 or Kansas State is. They're a team that drags you into some ugly games, even though they're a little more offensively driven this year. It's just Kirk Farron's nature to make the game suck and make it not fun to watch. He does that, and he's never going to give an easy win up. So I'm still giving credit to Penn State. That was a tough game. Going into this game, I really thought Iowa was going to be the uh, representative from the Big Ten West, and, I mean, their chances are pretty much gone at this point. Yeah, and we didn't actually get a chance to hear your pick on the show last week I got for that chapped. one, Matt, because my, my son had to call me away to help with a, uh, a fecal issue. However, uh, you, you did pick Penn State, so you, so you were right on the money there. Uh, I also picked Penn State. I was, I was surprised at how, how close this game was. I thought Penn State, I thought it would be close on the scoreboard, but I thought Penn State would kind of outplay them. But that last play of the game, when that offensive lineman took that backwards pass and started rumbling down the field for a second there, it looked like no one was going to be able to tackle him. And I was like, oh my God, let this happen. Let this happen. Because <laughs> it just would have been the most ridiculous thing I'd ever seen. Um, but yeah, it didn't. So that one ended up um, working out in our favor. The other game that I thought we called kind of spot on was Washington State at Stanford. We all picked Washington State. And I think we all kind of thought they should be the favorites. We all thought they should they should win the game and that Stanford was kind of getting the line in their favor because just of name recognition and the fact that they were at home. But Washington State ended up putting together a great game. This was this game was a lot of fun to watch. I'm not sure how much of it you guys got to see, 
But if Washington State hadn't just broken my heart the week before, I might actually like this team. I mean, I like this team at this point. They're probably the team to root for out of the Pac-12. So as you can now call yourself the Pac-12 fan um, <laughs> since Oregon has officially broken your heart too many times. Um, but, I, I mean, I think it was a good win for Washington State. They're, they're set up pretty well. And, uh, I mean, there's not a whole lot to say other than they sh- this should have been a letdown spot and they didn't let it turn into one. So credit to them. They got the win. And even though it was a little bit close, they did what they do and scored enough points to walk away. Yeah, I thought on the East Coast here, I personally, I don't have Pac-12 networks, so I couldn't watch any of this game. But just looking at the box score today, you know, Gardner Minshew and KJ Costello both played pretty fantastic. Um, you know, both completed near 80% of their throws, no interceptions, seven touchdowns combined. It's kind of interesting to see Stanford, you know, sort of morphing into a passing team. It's which, weird. It's so weird. Yeah. And, and it's, it's also kind of strange. I, I don't know this off the top of my head, but Bryce Love only had nine touches. I don't know if he, he's still banged up, if he's kind of in shutdown mode. Um, I think for, he's done with college football. I think mentally he's already preparing for the NFL. And that's fair. I, I don't blame him really for that at all. It's just when you look at the box score and you see K.J. Costello had seven carries for 19 yards, Bryce Love had five for 68 uh, you kind of wonder like what exactly is going on there, but you know, I, I, like I said, I don't blame him for, for getting ready for the next level, but yeah, just first impressions. I, it looks like both quarterbacks played really well. KJ Costello has been, uh, you know, a pleasant surprise, I think this season and, uh, JJ Arcega Whiteside keeps catching touchdowns and Caden Smith, who I know pretty sure we've talked about on this podcast before Matt, perhaps, uh, yeah. he went nine for one twelve and one at the tight end position, Looks like he's trending towards, uh, you know, a strong NFL prospect. So, like I said, I'm excited for Washington State uh, because I think what they're doing is 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 pretty intriguing. But also, I think we have to give credit where it's due uh, for Stanford's passing game and a losing effort. And I, I want to take a quick second to jump in on Stanford passing game since we are still a, a, on a fantasy site. J.J. Arcega-Whiteside is turning himself into a mid-first-round dynasty pick next year in rookie drafts. He really is that good of a prospect, and it's starting to— he's going to be one of those players that NFL scouts start salivating over his touchdown potential at the next level. He He's a touchdown dominator. I believe he's still well over 50% of the team's share and Caden Smith, as you mentioned, he might already be the second best tight end in this class behind Noah Fant. The only argument is if uh, Jace Sternberger out of A&M comes out, but those two guys right there are both legitimate prospects. I think Caden Smith will end up being like a late second rookie pick next year in our Sega white side needs to start being considered among those that top five wide receiver group, which is kind of falling apart. Well, yeah, and I was actually going to give you a shout-out because before the game, you had your Rotoballers article come out where you were talking about some of the different wide receivers to look at, and you did highlight Arcega Whiteside in that piece, and then he went out and just dominated. So I was like, yep, that's my boy right there, Wispy the Kid, getting his stuff done. You also mentioned Nikhil Harry in that piece, too, who I think everyone saw the highlight. My God, he is a beast. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, definitely be, be looking for those articles that uh that that come out because 
those can really help you get an early edge on, on what to be looking for uh, as we get through this season and start looking towards the NFL draft and, of course, fantasy draft season, which is it's never too early to look ahead in these dynasty leagues. Uh, so, yeah, definitely be, be looking at those pieces because there's a lot of really great information there. Uh, let's look at Texas A&M at Mississippi State. I, uh, I will take a bow on this one. I picked this one right. I didn't really have a whole lot of reason for thinking it would happen other than the fact that Mississippi State at home just felt like, um, I just felt like they would have a good game plan going in there. And I just can't get into Texas A&M. I have not really been a huge fan of theirs ever since they, I mean, they let me down just one too many times this year. Uh, so I, I rolled with them and they ended up really, I I was surprised at how, at how the game turned out. I thought they might barely barely cover, but to win by 15 points was was definitely a shock. Why do you think Mississippi State was able to to come out and dominate like this, Jordan? Well, I mean, going into the game uh, last, you know, on the pod last week, I think that the the main reason why I thought Texas A&M had a good chance to win this game was because of just the absolute inability to throw the ball downfield. Uh, from Mississippi State, Nick, Nick Fitzgerald. You know, the three games prior against Florida, Alabama, and LSU, granted those are tough defenses, but, you know, he, he was completing 42%, 53%, 33% of his throws. I mean, under 100 yards passing, five total interceptions in those three games. Now, obviously, things, you know, trends don't always continue, but Texas A&M's defense is good, um, and, and I just really didn't see this as the necessary bounce-back spot. But he played really well. Um, you know, he had 241 yards on just 14 completions, two touchdowns, no interceptions, added two more touchdowns on the ground. He is their offense, uh, especially with Kylan Hill out. And I guess, you know, it's just whether we're going to get good Nick Fitzgerald or bad Nick Fitzgerald, depending on who they're playing. That's just kind of what I didn't see. And, and I could not, you know, I just couldn't predict that type of bounce back. I didn't see it coming. But, you know, good for him. It's a good win. And like you said, Mississippi State at home is always tough. And I guess that's what I get for banking on Texas A&M to score enough points. I don't know. <laughs> and I guess I, my only real takeaway from this is I'm starting to get a tiny bit concerned about Travion Williams. Um, Another really, me. really, this was a really bad performance. We talked about him a little bit before, but this was rough. If you're looking for any positive takeaway from him, it's that he did have four catches for 45 yards, but that's really the only positive takeaway I'm going to take away from him. Even though he only went two for 13, I'm really still into Jay Sternberger. He, he, at least this season, has been probably the best receiving tight end in college football. My one nice takeaway on the uh, Mississippi State offense is Stephen Guidry, um, and I'm certain I'm going to mispronounce that name, but he was, uh, I believe the number one wide receiver, uh, transfer out of junior college last year. I had pretty high hopes for him jumping into the Joe Moorhead offense and how he actually could be, um, as a player. And it was nice to see him kind of come alive when he's been pretty relevant this year, but three for one thirty and a touchdown, including an 84 yard bomb. It's, it's just nice to see him contribute in the way that I was hoping that he could have. And Nick Fitzgerald still isn't really a good passer, but he can run fast. So he, um, I, I think your both of your reasoning for picking against Mississippi State, a lot of it because of the quarterback play, was not unfounded. I just think he had a really unusually good game, an unusually bad game though for for Texas. 
I finally have bought into Texas. I finally picked them to win. I was all in, and then of course they lose. I was I was pretty surprised at the lack of dominance from the receivers. They had they had okay games. The the receivers for for Texas they had okay games. But I mean, little Lil Jordan Humphrey, still the greatest name in college football. Um, I I just had seen him dominate week after week, and then he didn't have a terrible performance, but he also didn't do anything to dominate. And I really thought he would he would have a, a big game, and yeah, it just didn't take place. And I was I was really surprised that Oklahoma State was able to come out with a win. Texas, you know, fought back. They got back into the game at the end. They made it interesting, but just just couldn't pull it out. I was I was with you on Texas because I just thought this line seemed to stink, um, and maybe that should have just been the sign to go the other way because I'm certain that all the money from the public was coming in on Texas because only having to give three points against an Oklahoma State team that, I mean, they're fine, but they really hadn't been super impressive to date, especially coming off back-to-back losses. I mean, I don't have a huge amount to say other than I want Shane, I'd like Ellinger to be fully healthy, um, and I'm not certain he is. I still think he's banged up from what's been going on this year. And, I mean, it, it's it's like, it's just disappointing. I still think Ellinger's an awesome quarterback. I think he's going to be great at Texas. I think by the time he's done, he'll be one of their best quarterbacks they've ever had. I, good win for Oklahoma State. That it's a tough game to go into, and I, I do. I would actually like to see uh, Mike Gundy and Tom Herman fight, which they tried to. So it would be <laughs> wonderful if that would happen. You know, I you know, was the only one to pick this game correctly, and it was. I said on the pod that this was the one that I felt least confident about. So you know, take that for what it's worth. But um, just a couple things. I think that. You know, Taylor Cornelius looked pretty good. Uh, he's he's a good college quarterback. Um, and I agree with, with Matt's take on Sam Ellinger. I don't think that he's completely healthy. Uh, I'm not sure that we'll see a completely healthy Sam Ellinger again this season. I You know, you just don't know how a guy's going to recover while playing. And another interesting note, Keontae Ingram, Texas's running back, had 11 carries for 52 yards and caught a nice wheel route for a touchdown. I read something interesting today uh, talking about how Tom Herman is basically, you know, dead set on keeping him on a pitch count. And he cited Ingram's really heavy workload in high school. Uh, I didn't go too deep into it, but his I guess his high school team basically was ran the gamut in the playoffs in the state playoffs every single year. He was there to the point where he played the equivalent of like two extra high school seasons something just absolutely absurd that I had no idea of. And I think that's interesting because Ingram is, I mean, I think it's pretty clear here. He's their best running back. And if, if they're dead set on only giving him, you know, 10 to 12 to 14 carries a game, I think that severely caps their upside as a running team. So I just, that's just something to keep in mind moving forward. But yeah, Tylen Wallace, uh, Oklahoma State wide receiver, 10, 222, and two. Some of that was done in the first half when some of the Texas uh, defensive backs were were held out for disciplinary reasons. But he still looked pretty dominant, and he's really coming on. I mean, he's had a, an enormous season, and he's someone that I I really need to dig a little bit deeper into um, as we move forward. And one other player, I kind of really 
I would like to at least give note to um, on this Oklahoma State team uh, next year. Chuba Howard or Hubbard, sorry, Chuba Hubbard is going to be really, really good if Justice Hill actually goes to the NFL like I think he will. Um, when he gets to be the lead in that backfield, it's going to be explosive. He is very intriguing to me. He had a huge spring game, and they haven't really used him a ton this season. But he's explosive, and uh, 9 for 80 in this game was was really interesting to see. Yeah, that's that's good stuff. Nice, Some nice deeper looks there. Let's talk about our bonus round. Jordan, that, that Navy-Notre Dame game must have made you nervous for a little while, but it ended up hitting... <laughs> Uh, so you got that one. It, it was a 22 and a half points, I think you said, and it ended up being a 22 point victory for Notre Dame. So, uh, so well done there. Yeah, the system holds barely. It, Navy was Navy was getting the crap beat out of them early <laughs> in that game, and I was like, well, there goes that system. Uh, it was good while it lasted, but uh, yeah, by the by the narrowest of margins, we we march forward. I like it. And then I uh, I threw out Northwestern upsetting Wisconsin. I felt pretty good about that one happening. Uh, that made me, yeah, made me, oh, I didn't help any against with all the outrage <laughs> from Oregon, but, but it was fun while it lasted. Um, and then the Air Force under that, that game ended up getting kind of out of hand. There was a lot of points put up in that game. I mean, that was purely a principle. I'm always going to pick service academy schools under, I'm still, I'm still in on that most of the time. That game was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And then we didn't talk about it much last week, but I just want to give Kentucky a little shout out right here. They are playing against Georgia for for the top spot, and that's just crazy. Big Blue Nation. <laughs> All 12 of us. Yeah. So, guys, just a quick reminder that you can support the Rotoviz Radio Network and our 10 shows per week on Patreon. By doing so, you'll gain exclusive access to Rotoviz Live, our weekly Sunday morning show answering all your fantasy questions. Partnerships start at just 5 bucks a month and provide exclusive access to Rotoviz Live. That's four shows per month on top of the 40 podcasts for just five bucks. Become a Rotoviz Patreon member today and join the exclusive community of listeners, access premium content, and do your part in helping the network to grow and continue to produce high quality industry leading programming. And speaking of ex- exclusives, as a loyal podcast listener, you can get 30% off a Rotoviz NFL pass right now. And if it's available through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast, get ready for that playoff push and gain unlimited access to all of our NFL content and to- tools. So you get an amazing value in the support of the podcast network. Once again, that's rotoviz.com backslash podcast. Great. All right. Let's move forward to week 10 picks. And let's start with probably the most important game as far as playoff implications, Alabama at LSU. LSU's getting two touchdowns. Well, uh, I just want to start off by saying that this is pretty much a perfect spot for LSU, albeit they're playing the best team in the universe. Um, Off a bye, they get them at home, big underdogs, disrespect, whiteboard material, everything going that way. That being said... I cannot pick against Alabama. When forced, when forced to make a decision, I will go with Alabama unless it's absolutely unreasonable. And, you know, granted, you know, Alabama holds a pretty big edge in points per possession, um, yards per play adjusted by opponent, third down conversion rate. Alabama's 56%, which leads the entire country. LSU's just 37%. 
you know, LSU playing playing at home, they are a very good team. But I just think that, you know, I, I just can't I just cannot bet against this this Crimson Tide team, knowing what they have on offense and defense. They're a complete team. I also think that Devin White, the linebacker for LSU being out for the first half, is a big deal. I think that he's a future NFL, perhaps star at the next level. Um, they have plenty of athletes to fill his role, but he is he is that good. I think it makes a difference. And, you know, we've seen LSU's defense be vulnerable. They've allowed 21 points or more to Auburn, who we know is not very good on offense. Louisiana Tech and Florida, who we discussed earlier. I just, it, 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 it's a perfect spot for LSU to be playing Alabama, but I just cannot go against the tide at this point. So I'll lay the 14. I mean, Jordan, do you know how drunk they can get in Baton Rouge by 7 p.m.? Like, Buddy, it's going to be wild. I have no doubt. It like, is. It's going to be the loudest place that Alabama plays this year. I hear and let's, let's be very clear. Every single part of me wants to pick LSU. I want Alabama to lose this game so badly. <laughs> but there is almost no chance. And the, my, my logic is... It's fairly simple. It's not super math-based. But if Alabama, if we all can agree, Alabama's going to score points at some point because as good as LSU's defense is, they're going to have a blown coverage on a play. They're going to have a great pass from Tua that's just impossible to stop. Jerry Judy's going to get behind a safety, and it's just going to be lights out. And when that happens, do I have any faith that LSU can march down the field when – Offenses like Ole Miss and Texas A&M and Missouri couldn't. And I think my answer to that question is, nah, I love Joe Burrow, but there's no chance he's going to move the ball against this Alabama defense. And it hurts my heart, but I'm taking Alabama and laying points. Yep, I I can't disagree with anything any of you guys have said. Uh, so instead, I, I'm obviously taking Bama as well. The, the question now that we might disagree on uh, does Tua play the fourth? I'm gonna say I'm gonna say yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna say no. I think Bama rolls. I think they roll, but it's still like a 21 point game. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably right, but I I, I just this Tua stuff's just too much fun. Let's go to Penn State at Michigan. Michigan favored by 10 points. I really hate this. I, hate, I really hate this because not only is like I'm going to be spending my weekend with a whole bunch of Penn State fans because I'm going to hang out with my wife's family. Um, but now I'm sort of forcing myself into picking Michigan. I looked up some of their numbers and on yards per play, they're like two yards better than the average um, among all college football. Their defense is so good. And we already talked about it. Penn State really does not have any playmakers that are going to scare Michigan. I don't know if Michigan's going to be able to score that many points, but I'm not sure they're going to need to score more than 14 to cover. So I'm going to, I'll take Michigan and it hurts my heart a lot. Wait, so you're saying, so you're saying Penn State scores a field goal and that's it? I think that is well within the range of possibilities. Michigan, man. Michigan that... State was only able to put up a touchdown when they recovered a uh, fumble inside the already inside the red zone, and the only way they scored was on a reverse pass to the quarterback. I, yeah, I, yeah. listen, and, and don't don't take that as, as an offense because I, I don't necessarily disagree with you. <laughs> um, 
But just looking at the uh, the over under right now is at fifty two and a half. So if if you're thinking like max like single digits for Penn State, then the under is the play. Oh, I'm if I were betting if if I were laying down my own money on this game and I won't on this game just because I, it it hurts my heart. My money would be on the under. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I agree with that. As far as a side, you know, on this number ten is is horrendous because, ugh, I mean, I kind of echo Matt's thoughts. I I really do think that too much is being put on McSorley right now. There's just not enough around him to be able to you know make plays and take some of the pressure off him. Karan Higdon, Michigan's running back, has hit a hundred yards in six straight games. I don't necessarily think that that he'll he'll fail to do that again here. Michigan is good at home under Harbaugh. They're 12 and four at home uh, in conference with 10 of those wins being by 21 points or more. You know, I say it all the time when we pick Penn State. I, you know, I don't personally bet them and it kind of hurts me to even make a side bet on this, but I think I'm also going to lay the 10 with Michigan. I just, I just really don't know how, how well Penn State's going to be able to move the ball and, but again, to reiterate, uh, I think that the under 52 and a half is probably the smarter play. Yeah, I definitely think going under here is wise. Um, but I think Penn State's going to be able to keep it close because it'll be a low-scoring game. So I think Michigan still wins, but I think it is less than 10 points. So uh, give me Penn State, and I don't feel great about it, but I feel better about it than picking Michigan to have to, to win by a lot. Um, I just don't believe in that offense. And yes, their defense is good. And if they can get a bunch of turnovers and have great field position, obviously that's going to change a lot. But um, yeah, West Virginia at Texas is an interesting one. Texas favored by two and a half points at home. You can imagine if they would have pulled out that win against Oklahoma State, they'd be uh, favored by a lot more. But as is, it's two and a half. We've got the fighting Will Greers against Sam Ellinger and the boys. How do you see this one shaking out, Jordan? Yeah, so... um... It's a good bounce back spot for Texas, but I I truly think that West Virginia is the better team. And, you know, I think it kind of comes down to big plays where Texas has been not very good at limiting them on defense. They rank 91st, according to Bill Conley's um, S&P. And on the other side, West Virginia ranks 11th in creating big plays on offense. I think we could see that come to the front in this game. And also, again, touching on uh, Keontae Ingram. You know, if he again, if he's if he's kept on a pitch count, I think he is their most dynamic runner that I think that that hurts Texas and Ellinger's health again, like we touched on. I'm just not quite sure if he's right. I I kind of feel like West Virginia should be favored in this game. So I will take the two and a half and uh, move on. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm with Jordan on this one. I it's hard for me to see why. Texas got the points on this one other than the fact that they're at home it probably should be a pick if I were even if if I want to give Texas a little bit of an edge because of the home field I I really do think that Keontae Ingram thing is going to be a big deal if they're not going to sort of run him into the ground um, then I don't know how they're going to keep this West Virginia offense off the field because their defense for as good as it's been this year um, it's going to struggle against West Virginia, who's just going to score points. So uh, my my pick is West Virginia. I think they probably take it by double digits. 
All right. Well, I'm disagreeing with you boys again. Um, I'm going Texas. <laughs> I just love getting my heart broken by the same team over and over again. But I just look looking back at West Virginia's looking back at their at their season. They haven't really played anyone super tough. If you look at the the wins they have, they're they're very few quality wins on their schedule. Um, and then one pretty glaring loss to Iowa State. So I just don't really know what this team is and, and what to expect from them. Texas, I know what I'm getting. Well, I don't. I think I think the Sam Ellinger stuff is important. If he is struggling, um, if he is hurt, that, that, that changes everything, obviously. But but give me Texas. I, I think they bounce back, get the win. Um, and, and yeah, they only need a win by a field goal. So I, I don't feel like the line is, is too difficult to beat. Let's go to Georgia at Kentucky. Um, as I've stated a few times, even though I like to make fun of how many fans I have, I'm all in on Big Blue Nation, and I'm still going to take Georgia because they're they're the better team, and this game could easily be a blowout. Ooh. I, ugh. I mean, I, I don't like this number, but it's a gross I'm number. actually well. – yeah. What really, what really worries me is uh, Kentucky's inability to throw the ball and – but I will say that I do think Kentucky has the better defense. I think that's pretty clear. They are at home. I think this is a big game, um, you know, driver's seat for the SEC East Open here. I wish this was 10, 10 and a half, but I'm still going to take Kentucky and the points. I, I hear you about how it could be a blowout, and it absolutely could be, but I'm just banking on on some some weird stuff happening and I'll take the better defense at home getting almost two scores. Yep, I'm I'm doing the same Jordan. I'm taking Kentucky. Uh, I think Snell has a huge game and, and keeps them keeps them in it. I think ultimately uh, George does end up winning this game, but I think it's going to be I think it's going to be pretty close. Missouri at Florida, Florida favored by 6. I mean, my pick is going to be pretty simple <laughs> if I go with it. I don't think Drew Locke's great. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah. I, I mean, if we want to keep it, I'll, I'll take Florida at home uh, laying the six because I do agree. I think that Locke is a little bit overrated uh, and I think it's a nice bounce back spot for the Gators. Yeah, I, I think uh, I'm not a fan of what Drew Locke's really been this year. And I think it's probably just his. his I mean, this is going to if he struggled against uh, Kentucky, Georgia, ha, I mean, Florida has better athletes on their defense. I'm going to go with the better defense. I think they're going to probably win this game by about a touchdown. Yep, that's a that's a sweep as well. I think Florida does it takes care of business at home. Now, I think this one could be really interesting. Notre Dame at Northwestern. I have a feeling I know where you guys are going to go with this just because of some of the conversation we've had before, but it's it's 8 points. Um how do you guys how do you guys see this one? Who are you picking? I, I think Jordan and I are both going to say the same thing and that this number is stupid. Um, Northwestern may be the favorite at this point to win the Big Ten West, but I don't think that matters. North uh, Notre Dame is a legitimate top five team at this point, and eight points is stupid. I don't care that it's on the road. I don't care that Northwestern is better than they have been. But they just beat Wisconsin. Oh, Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Wisconsin, who uh, should have been the playoff contending team that we all thought they were. Sure. <laughs> they forgot that they have should exclusively run the ball with Jonathan Taylor all the time. But, I, I mean, this seems like similar to when we thought Wake Forest could hang for a minute. It's That point is over. Ian Book's going to put up a lot of yards, and they're going to score a lot of points. 
they're going to win. Yeah, since since week four when Ian Book took over, Notre Dame's averaging 496 total yards, 40 points per game, while outscoring their opponents by an average of almost 20 points per game. There's a lot of sharp. It looks like there's sharp money uh, has come in on Northwestern. This line opened at ten and a half. It's down to eight, which makes me a little bit concerned. But down at eight, I again, I'm not backing off. I think Notre Dame wins this by double digits. Yep, that's another sweep. We've got a lot of agreeing going on in this uh, week's episode, so that's that's interesting. We'll see how it goes. I I think the uh, this is interesting because yeah, the eight points is is so much less than what I thought it would be at. But we'll see We'll see what Vegas knows that we don't. But yeah, it'll be a fun weekend. Um, I've got a lot going on. So I, I'm going to be watching a lot of my te- on my phone, which just means bouncing in between games is going to be difficult. But, uh, but it'll, it'll definitely be a lot of fun. I'm super excited for Bama LSU and Penn State Michigan. I think some really great matchups this week. Yeah, I think this is probably the best slate we've had so far and potentially the best slate we'll have all regular season. So yep, um, yep. enjoy it. So, Samesies. <laughs> so boys, where, where can people find you? Um, so I, you can find me at Wispy the Kid on Twitter, and you can find me currently writing at Roto Baller um, with my college prospect series. And I'm on Twitter at jhoover9787, and my written words can be found on Rotoviz. And I am at StayFunLaco. And if you are interested in a non-sports-related podcast, I just launched one this last week called Is This It? And that is on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and all the rest of them. So check that out if you're interested. And yeah, we're looking forward to this weekend, and we are looking forward to talking to you guys again next week. There will be plenty to discuss. It's the sale you've been waiting for. Now through Monday, get a huge 50% off the styles you need now with 50% off all jeans, 50% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, 50% off. Jeans start at 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids. Want fashion in a flash? Buy online and pick up in-store for free. Hurry, the sale ends Monday at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 829 to 9-2 excludes in-store clearance, jumpsuits, rompers, bubbles, active license, and men's package tees. It's the sale you've been waiting for. Now through Monday, get a huge 50% off the styles you need now with 50% off all jeans, 50% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, 50% off. Jeans start at 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids. Want fashion in a flash? Buy online and pick up in-store for free. Hurry, the sale ends Monday at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 829 to 9-2 excludes in-store clearance, jumpsuits, rompers, bubbles, active license, and men's package tees. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.